um, six times a week. Are you above or below average? <laughs> Only, that's like the average man, six times. I guess that's like real blow-up temper lost. The average woman only three times, so women no, don't get as angry as men do. Men often get angry at things and stuff that breaks, broken cars, broken computers. Women often get more um, angry at people. I don't know about you, I'm an equal opportunity kind of guy. I get upset with people and with things. Men are more physical with their anger than women are. And no surprise here, you're more likely to express anger at home than any other place. Anybody that's true? At home or in the car, I think. In fact, some of you may have had a fight on the way to church this morning. So I want to talk about some biblical guidelines as we kind of move through Proverbs, talk about some things uh, about anger and about temper. And the first thing that I want us to understand is that when it comes to our anger and our temper, we need to learn to think. And I think that's probably one of the hardest things to do is in the moment, in the process of what's happening, just to think through what we are about to do or what we're experiencing. Proverbs 29, 22 says, A man of wrath stirs up strife, and one given to anger causes much transgression. That tr- word transgression, not a word we use all the time. It's a word that here has the meaning of an act that goes against a law, a rule, or a code of conduct. So a man of wrath stirs up strife, and one who is given to anger causes problems in the area of laws, rules, codes of conduct. The other verse I want to hit on here is Proverbs 15.1. It says, a soft answer turns away wrath. Maybe uh, if you don't take anything else away today, you take that away. Lord, help me to learn how to have a soft answer. A soft answer turns away wrath, but a harsh answer stirs up anger. Unrestrained, Unrestrained anger causes problems, doesn't it? It causes problems, it causes um, harshness, and it causes it to spread. I have a couple quotes today. I I don't often quote other people, but there's some really good quotes about anger. This one's from Will Rogers. It says, people who fly into a rage seldom make a good landing. You ever heard that one? It's true. If you get angry, it, it rarely turns out well at the end. A survey of 9 to 12-year-olds was taken, and they asked two questions. What do you like most about your mom? And, and across the board, there were different answers. You know, they liked she was pretty, or she was nice, or she cooked, or she plays with me. There were, there were a variety of different answers. But almost to the, to the child, when they were asked the question, what's the thing you dislike about your mom? She yells at me. Maybe you had a mom that yelled at you. Maybe you had a dad. Maybe you still have a dad that yells at you. Uh, we don't like to be yelled at. Most people yell because yelling works. Would you agree? Yelling usually works. That's, we're, we're pragmatic in our application of the things we do. If, if we do something and it works, we keep doing it. If we do something and it doesn't work, we usually stop. Yelling works because but because most of the time, yelling gets what we want. It gets the person's attention, and they stop, or they change, or they quit, or they start doing what it is we want them to do. Yelling works. Yelling is not the best way. Listen to this, this scripture out of Proverbs eleven twenty nine. It says, whoever troubles his own household will inherit the wind. Ouch. And the fool will be the servant to the wise of heart. Uh, that first part's what I really want to focus on. Whoever troubles his own household will inherit the wind. Houses can only take so much chaos. 
and so much anger and so much temper and so much explosion before families will dissipate. The kids might not get to leave until they're 18 or 19 or 20, but when they leave, they'll be gone. Some of them might even leave early if it's bad enough. And then what do you inherit? Scripture says only the wind. Only the wind. When you yell and when you get angry at somebody, they'll comply out of fear of what's to come. But in the long term, in the long run, you lose. You may get what you want in the moment, but in the long run, you lose because anger alienates people. So Proverbs here is saying that to rein in our temper, one of the first things we need to do is begin to think clearly about what it is. And that's, why these, that's why I included these scriptures so we can think and talk clearly and understand what is it about anger that turns people off? I want you to think openly about who you are, what you say. Like I said earlier, this has rubbed me all week long. <laughs> the Lord's been filing on me the whole week. And I think, you know, those are probably some of the best sermons. When you preach to yourself before you preach to somebody else. Before you, you teach yourself before you teach somebody else. So I'm not standing up here as one saying I've got it all figured out. Uh, and, and I'm doing everything perfectly, but I do know somebody who does know, and he's written a book about it. And so I'm going to do my best to try to follow what his book says. So first we rein in our temper and, and begin to think clearly and, and, and honestly about anger and about outbursts and about what the effect of that is. And then the second thing we, we need to learn, this is hard, is to wait. I don't know about you, that's probably one of the most difficult things in an anger temper moment is the waiting. Take a moment and wait. Proverbs 29, 11 says, a fool gives full vent to his spirit. Another version, uh, NIV says, a fool gives full vent to his anger, but a wise man quick or quietly holds it back. So are you the, the full vent kind of guy or gal? You get angry, you get upset, and it's like, anybody ever have one of those tea kettles, you fill it with water, and then you put it on the burner, and when it's ready, it whistles? Are you that kind? You know, it's like, <laughs> you're full, and you're whistling, and you're angry, and it's immediate. One of the greatest remedies for anger is delay. One of the greatest remedies is delay. Self-control is supposed to be one of the nine fruit of the Spirit. You remember, there's love, joy, Peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Nine things that are supposed to characterize the Christ follower. Self-control is one of those. Self-control uh, talks about a lot of different areas. It can talk about how we deal with our body or our appetites, our desires. It can also talk about our attitudes and how we deal in our communication patterns with other people. So if we're supposed to exhibit and live a life of self-control, but we have a temper anger problem, something's out of balance. Thomas Jefferson is the guy that coined this phrase. He said, um, when you're angry, count to 10. Anybody ever heard that one? You've heard. Okay. Anybody do that? He had a second half to that. I don't know if you know it. And it's when you're really angry, count to 100. Some of us just don't wait long enough, do we? The fool gives full vent to his anger, and he doesn't wait. Whatever we're going to do, Maybe that's a good, this is a good thing to insert. Whatever you think about in the moment that you're going to do, don't do it. <laughs> in the moment of anger, in the moment of frustration, in the moment the temper flares, the thing you're thinking about doing, don't do it. Just wait. 
just stop, just pause. You might be tempted to think right now, I can't do this. Because you're 20 or 30 or 40 or 50 or 60 or 70 and you're like, I've been angry my whole life. I've struggled with this my whole life. I've had a temper my whole life and I haven't been able to get it under control yet. Why would I be able to do that now? Here's the thing. And, and Lydia tells this to me. She's like, you're in control of your response. You can decide to be angry or not to be angry. For example... When, uh, you, when you have a fight, it could be at home or maybe in the car on the way to church or wherever it is, you're, you're, you're angry, you're, maybe two of you, you're, you're just going at it, the doorbell rings or the phone rings or you pull up in the parking lot at church and you get out, all of a sudden it's like, hi, hello, you know, and it's pleasant, this is Sean, can I help you? You know, you didn't have any idea what was going on just a second before that. We can control our responses. We might be in an argument with a wife or a husband or, or a friend or a, a sibling, a child, a boss, an employee. That something else interjects into that situation and we can instantly kind of put that on hold and, 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 and stop being angry for a moment to deal with this other thing. I think that's proof that we can control our responses when we're angry. The Bible says a wise man keeps himself under control. We just need to practice that more often. We need to put that into effect. Proverbs twelve sixteen says, The vexation of a fool is known at once. In other words, the, the angry person who can't control themselves, their anger is revealed immediately. The prudent ignores an insult. For some people, everything is life and death. You ever met somebody like that? Everything is life and death. Everything is instant. Uh, they can't ignore anything. The, you ever heard this phrase, a small pot boils quickly? That's what that phrase means. Somebody who gets angry fast. Somebody gives full vent to their anger quickly. When you get upset, it shows the depth of your character, whether it's deep or whether it's shallow. So what upsets you? What are some of the kinds of things that upset you? Lies? Lies. What else? Say that again. Being belittled. Yeah. Anything else make you angry? Say it loud because the fans are loud. Being rushed. Okay. <laughs> When they're cracking the whip. What else makes you upset? Working with someone lazy. <laughs> oh, a lot of people laughed at that one <laughs> and raised their hand and agreed, right? What else do you tend to get upset about? Bad drivers. Oh, no. <laughs> drivers worse than you. <laughs> Bad drivers. It's Chicago. We're surrounded. By bad drivers. Lack of. Lack of organization? Yeah, okay. Being overwhelmed. Ungratefulness. Okay, so there's a lot of things, and I think if we kept going, we could probably come up with a lot more, right? 
We could, we could continue to list the things that bother us. Uh, each of us probably has one or two or three little buttons. Anybody ever say that? You got a button? Or, or we use the language, boy, she really pushed my button. That's the funny thing about angers. We all have that button, and the people we're closest to know just exactly how to push them, don't they? Because they know if that's the button they push, they'll get the response. Maturity is the ability to overlook a hurt. Proverbs 19.11 says, says this, Good sense makes one slow to anger. If we have good sense, it makes us slow to anger, and it is to our glory to overlook an offense. You ever met anybody that didn't get angry about stuff? Stuff just kind of bing flip, bing flip. <laughs> They didn't seem to be phased. They didn't seem to be bothered. Things would come up, whether it was in their family or their everyday uh, situations or, or extraordinary things would happen, and they would stay calm, and they would stay cool. Man, I want to be that kind of person. We have an example of that kind of person in Christ, don't we? I think every message, no matter what we talk about, what, no matter what scripture we study, no matter what the topic is, it all has to point back to Christ. And if you think about it, Christ is the perfect example of somebody who didn't get angry about stuff that happened. He was maligned. He was libeled. He was beaten. He was hung on a cross. He was killed. I mean, it, it had all the makings of a Hollywood movie because he came back from the dead. And in Hollywood, what would that person have done? Wreaked havoc. He's back. Right? <laughs> but Jesus came back, and what did he do instead? He loved people. In fact, he loved exactly the people who did to him what had happened. Exactly the people that falsely accused him. Exactly the people that beat him. Exactly the people that put him on the cross. In fact, if we know anything about Scripture at all, and we understand anything about the gospel, we know, and in fact, we're the ones that put him on that cross. Because he went there for my sin, and he went there for your sin. He went there for the sin of all people for all time. And he didn't get angry about it. He's our perfect example. The point here is nothing can make you mad. Maybe part of the way we, we think about and talk about being mad is we use the wrong language. Lydia and I talk a lot about stuff, and sometimes she says, that's really not the right way to say that. And she's always right, right? So I'm making, I'm making you sound good today, baby. And she's smiling. I'm not in trouble. I'm not in trouble this time. We're choosing to be mad. You don't say, oh, that person makes me mad. They make me angry. They may do something that pushes your button, but we're choosing our response, aren't we? I mean, let's be honest. We're choosing how to respond. We're choosing how to react. We don't come back to settle the score because we have a Savior in Christ who set an example that when things happened that made him angry, he returned love. He returned calmness. He returned gentle answers. He returned love. So the first two points here are think and wait. Think and wait. Think and wait. 
Is this worth being upset over? Is this worth making a big deal over? There's a book by Patton. Anybody ever heard of General George Patton? You've probably heard of it. Yeah. He wrote a book, Patton's Principles, a Handbook for Managers Who Mean It. And I love this. It's, and Lydia mentions this all the time, although I don't think she knows the book. Never fight a battle. You don't gain something by winning. Lydia shortens that to choose your battles. A lot of the things we get mad about and we argue about and we fight about aren't worth winning. Unless you're one of those that I will win at any cost, no matter what the result, and I just get to say I'm the winner at the end. That's a terrible way to live. I will win. I will crush you. I will be right and you will be wrong, no matter what. Some of the spouses are moving closer together and some of them are moving apart right now. They're like... Never fight a battle where you don't gain anything by winning. Know which battles are and are not worth fighting. A person's wisdom yields patience. We're patient with one another and we love one another. The problem is we fight a lot of battles that aren't worth winning. And there's always... What, what happens after a battle? I mean, you think about it. You think about a war, what happens? There's dead people afterwards, there's broken bodies, there's damage, there's destruction... There's sides, there's winners, there's losers. Do we want to have those kind of relationships in our, in our families, in our church, in our community, in our neighborhoods, in our workplaces? Do we want to have winners and losers and you know, we're all walking around because somebody blew up and we're, we're damaged? That's not the kind of vision that Christ had for us. Proverbs 17, 27 says, whoever restrains his words has knowledge, and he who has a cool spirit is a man of understanding. I love that. I love that translation, a cool spirit, not that kind. But a cool, a refreshing, a gentle, a soft spirit. Have you ever met that person? They have a soft spirit. And no matter what happens, it just bounces off, and they just move on. I've known a couple of people like that. I would love to be somebody like that. I think deep down inside, we would all like to be like that, but we have that button, we keep getting pressed, and we keep reacting the wrong way to it, because we're not thinking, and we're not waiting. And then the last one is practice restraint. We're also not restraining ourselves. You remember when we first got here a year ago, I got that shirt, Don't Be Jonah, because we went through the series on Jonah. I should have got a shirt for this one. Think, wait, practice restraint. We, we might all need that shirt, right? <laughs> Just to remind us. Think about it. Don't say what's first on your mind, so wait. And then practice restraint. Be careful. Be cautious. Proverbs twenty-one twenty-three says, Whoever keeps his mouth and his tongue keeps himself out of trouble. Maybe we just need a shirt that says, <laughs> Shut up. <laughs> of course, everybody would think we're saying that to them. Maybe we just need it on the mirror in the bathroom and on the dashboard in the car and on the desk, at work, or, or wherever. Guard your mouth. If you want to stay out of trouble, be careful what you say. I don't know about you, but I get myself in more trouble with this mouth right here. And if we're all going to be honest with ourselves, I think we all get ourselves in trouble with our mouth. Blowing up never works. A sharp tongue is the quickest way to cut your own throat. Because there's fallout and there's damage that comes out of a fight. Problem is, when we're angry, the adrenaline is running. I don't know about you, but the adrenaline... I'm a genius when I'm angry. I can just think of, phew, great stuff to say. Anybody else that, that characterizes you? Yeah, 
When I am upset, I am, man, that mind is going. I should have been a lawyer. I could think up all of the arguments and the debates and the reasons and the logic. The problem is <laughs> that when you blow up, it damages everybody else around you, right? Have you ever had a Capri Sun? We were laughing a couple weeks ago at the, at the thing out here. Daniela was giving little Billy a Capri Sun to drink. You know, you take, it's that, that package, the silver package. She pulled out the straw. She, she managed to jab it right through that hole. She's really good at it because she's a mom. And then she wanted Billy to take a drink out of it without grabbing the package. And Billy, every time she'd put it down there, Billy'd like try to grab it and she'd pull it back. And he'd go, Arr! You know why she didn't want him to grab the package, right? Because he was going to go like this. And the whole thing was going to squirt out all over him, all over his clothes, all over his car seat or his, his stroller. He was going to be soaked. Some of us are like Capri Suns. You see where this is going, right? The slightest little thing happens, and what happens? Blah! We just blow up like a Capri Sun all over everybody. Ever, you ever done that or been around somebody that did that, and you're just like, Wow, you know, get out of the way. Shrapnel's going to be flying. We're Capri Suns, and, and whatever's inside of us comes out under pressure, and some of us are under pressure. Some of it's real, some of it's perceived, but we're under pressure. And if we allow that pressure to rule us or guide us, we're always going to be that small pot ready to boil over. We're always going to be that Capri Sun ready to... Um, to be squeezed out. You know, dynamite's really, really unstable, right? You, you can jostle it. If you had like a box of it, if you, you could jostle it, and the whole box could go up. There, there are some explosives like that that are extremely unstable. In, in high school chemistry, I have no idea why, but my, my high school chemistry teacher let me make an explosive, right? I know, right? Everybody's like, what? It was a lot. It was cool. I'm 51, I was 17, so that's a long time ago. I don't even know if they have chemicals in high school chemistry classes anymore. <laughs> it's all theoretical now. If we had these two chemicals and mixed them, it would do this. It was a, a really simple chemical compound um, where you were cramming these giant molecules together that didn't want to be connected and so the, the bond was really super, super weak. And it, it, if you just barely touched it, it would explode. So you, you make it in a liquid form, and while it's liquid, it's stable. And then you let it dry. After it dries, you can't even touch the paper it's on without it exploding. So I had a, I don't have a ballpoint pen, but after mine dried, I took and I put a ballpoint pen and just tapped it on there, and it like blew the whole end of the pen off. Or you could never get away. She would be fired in a heartbeat now in high school for allowing a high school student to make an explosive, right? I mean, there's just no doubt, not even a question. It was highly unstable. Some of us are like that little explosive. <laughs> We're highly unstable. Just the slightest little bit of jostling causes us to go off. Some of us are near a, in a near constant state of explosion. And just the slightest nudge will set us off. Proverbs says if you're smart, you'll restrain yourself and you'll restrain your words. Proverbs 15, 1, a soft answer 
turns away wrath. A soft answer turns away wrath. But a harsh word stirs up anger. There's two notes here, and we're going to close. The first one, whatever you do when you're angry, these are just kind of like side notes. Some things that, that, that we need to think about. The first one is, this is just my advice here. Avoid sarcasm, I think, is a good Sarcasm probably causes more fights. Some of us, our buttons are pressed by sarcasm, right? Nobody mentioned that. What are things that make you angry? Sarcasm. Anybody, you like to be sarcastic? Yeah, me too. And some of you raising your hands really high. I, I like it. It's funny. But sometimes it's really, really dangerous, isn't it? So avoid, especially if you know, this, is, this, this fits in that with that think, wait, practice, restraint. If you're given to sarcasm, monitor that carefully. I'm not going to say sarcasm in all situations is wrong. Karen and I love to be sarcastic. We're, we're good at it. Lydia, Lydia likes it too. But sometimes, and I've experienced this between Lydia and I, maybe we had a bad day, maybe something's on our mind, maybe the pot's close to boiling, and one of us will say something we thought wasn't really that bad, <laughs> but it was sarcastic, and all of a sudden the other person's like, boom, <laughs> nuclear blast. You're like, wait, what did I do? That was supposed to be funny. Well, it wasn't funny. Sarcasm is dangerous. Be careful with the sarcasm. Enough about that. There's a corollary here in this verse. Okay, so it says... A soft answer turns away wrath. So the corollary, or this would be something that's opposite of that. A harsh answer does what? It brings on the wrath. It brings on the wrath. Some of us need to be careful how we answer, how we respond. This can fit with the sarcasm or it can fit also with just purely tone of voice, choice of words, whatever we say back to another person. A gentle answer turns away wrath, but a harsh answer brings wrath with it. Anger is contagious. If I have it, then I get angry, now you have it. You ever heard, you know, the dad comes home from work, he's mad. Um, he yells at his wife. Uh, wife goes in the kitchen, yells at one of the kids. Kid walks into the bedroom and kicks the dog. It just kind of rolls downhill. Anger spreads. It's contagious. We have to be careful with it. If you get it and you give it to somebody else, they're going to pass it on. This fits in with what Scripture teaches about reaping what you sow. Whatever we're planting, whatever we're doing, whatever we're saying, however we're acting, we're going to get back and it's going to grow. If we are planting quiet responses, gentle answers, kindness, lack of, uh, lack of um, sarcasm, yeah, that word, then we're going to get those things back. But if we're sarcastic, if we're loud, I'm loud. I'm just loud normally, I guess. Lydia says it all the time. You're loud. You just are loud normally, so be careful. Anybody else loud normally? Yes, Billy, Jimmy. Billy, you're not loud normally. Are you? You are, you are. Kevin is. There's some of us out there. Sometimes. We have to be careful if we're loud normally because sometimes loud just sounds like angry, even if it's not. If we want soft, spoken, soft words spoken to us, we speak 
soft words. So here's the real question on everybody's mind, because we can talk about anger, we can talk about Proverbs, we can see how it, uh, it, it's spelled out in there and how we should respond. But the real question probably that's going on in our minds is how do we really deal with anger that we have? We might have anger. There's a lot of reasons. It could be from frustration. It could be from the past. It could be situational. It could be uh, habitual. We've been angry so, for so long, now we're just angry because... You ever met somebody like that? They're just always angry because you've never known them any other way. They've just always been angry. I don't want to be that kind of person. Psalms 51 is a practical guide to confession. And so I think part... We've been talking about this for a couple of weeks. I don't know why, but this is going to kind of been on my heart. No matter what we're talking about, this idea of confession keeps coming back. I think confession is one of those words, in some ways, um, we might have allowed other world religions to kind of co-opt that word. They mean something else by it. And because they use it and they say it, we're kind of afraid of that word because it means something that maybe we're not comfortable with it meaning. But when I talk about confession, that is purely going before the Father and saying, Lord, I confess my sin. It just means I'm going to tell you, I'm going I'm to lay open, here's the sin that I have. And maybe that's part of our dealing with anger and anything else that you're struggling with, is that we just need to be honest about it. David was honest. He, he, you can read in the Psalms over and over, um, some of them are pretty bold. He was an angry guy about some stuff. And the Lord allowed him to vent those things. And then he changed David's heart. And so maybe some of us need to go before the Lord and, and, and in a way vent those things in confession, not in an angry way, but in a way of saying, Lord, hey, there are some things. He, he, you know what? He already knows what they are, which kind of begs another question. If he knows what's going on in my life, why do I have to confess it? Well, we got to learn to be honest with ourselves. Remember a couple weeks ago I, I said uh, we, uh, we have a heart that is an excuse factory. It's good at it. It's good at making excuses. Well, when we go to the Father in a heart of confession, we're not making an excuse, what, which maybe this will lead out of a confession to the Father into a confession before a loved one who you've been angry with. So let's just see where this goes. I'm going to read some out of Psalm 51. And as I read it, um, man, write this. It's not going to be on the screen. It's in Psalm 51, page uh, 271 in the Pew Bibles. Um, but mark it down. Read it this week. Study it. Think about it. Pray through it. This isn't going to be like a one-time fix. But this is a great chapter, a great passage on confession. And as I read it, I would just encourage you to be honest with the Father and pray through this uh, about anger or about anything else that's on your mind. So David wrote, and he said, Have mercy on me, O God, according to your steadfast love. According to your abundant mercy, blot out my transgressions. Remember that word transgressions, again, is, is breaking a law, breaking a code of conduct, breaking a rule. Have mercy on me, O God, according to your steadfast love. According to your abundant mercy, blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity. Cleanse me from my sin, for I know my transgressions, and my sin is ever before me. 
Against you, you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight, so that you may be justified in your words and blameless in your judgment. Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity and in sin did my mother conceive me. Behold, you delight in truth in the inward being and you teach me wisdom in the secret heart. Purge me with hyssop and I shall be clean. Wash me and I shall be whiter than snow. Let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones you have broken rejoice. Hide your face from my sins and blot out all my iniquities. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit in me. Cast me not from your presence and take not your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and uphold me with a willing spirit. Then I will teach transgressors your way and sinners will return to you. Deliver me from blood guiltness, O God, O God of my salvation, and my tongue will sing aloud of your righteousness. Open, O Lord, my lips and my mouth will declare your praise. For you will not delight in a sacrifice, or I would give it. For you're not pleased with a burnt offering. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit and a broken and contrite heart. These things, Lord, you will not despise. Hey, thanks for putting that up there for me. That passage is rich. If you are struggling with how do I come to the Lord and bring this brokenness that I have and find salvation, find forgiveness, find change in attitude and change in heart with whatever that thing it is you're struggling with. It could be anger. It could be something else totally different. You came in today and you're like, I'm not really struggling with anger, but I'm struggling with this thing. Go to the Father. Begin to pray Psalm 51. But, but go honest. It, David was honest. He said, I know my transgressions. And he admits, God, you know my transgressions, and they're before you, and I have wronged you, and forgive me. And create a clean heart in me. And change me. That's why, I don't know if you ever heard that song, Change My Heart, Oh God, I love that song. It's, it's lifted right out of this passage. Change my heart, oh God, make it ever new. Change my heart, oh God, make it be like you. I love that. We just pray and ask the Father. You know, what, what we're talking about here and talking about confession is the application of the gospel. We talk about the gospel a lot. We talk about sharing the gospel, telling somebody else who Christ is, why he died, how they can be saved from their sin and have a right life before God in this life and a future life with him in heaven. We talk about the gospel and sharing the gospel. We talk about a time where we've received the gospel, where it changed us, it made us into Christ followers. We were redeemed from something old and broken into something newly created. But this is like the application of the gospel. This is where we go to the Father and we say, honestly, before God, I can't do any of this without you. We're Americans. We're independent. We, we put on our, our, our boots and we, we pull ourselves up and we're... We got it. We're independent. Maybe overly, fiercely independent, in fact. And God says, you know what? It's not about you and your independence and what you think you can do. The application of the gospel is when we come to the Father and say, look, I, I, I confess before you, God, that what you have written here is true. I am broken. 
I have sinned and I'm separated from you. I need the application of your love and mercy and grace in my life for me to be able to do anything good. Whether it's control my temper, that's just one thing. Love my spouse the way I should. Love my children the way I should. Do my job. Be honest at work. I mean, it just compounds all the things that that we could mess up. The application of the gospel covers those. And so as we close in prayer in a moment and we pray through Psalm 51, I'm just going to encourage you, take Psalm 51 into your week. If you don't get anything else, if today you were like, I don't have a problem with my temper, that's fine. Take Psalm 51 out of here today and make it a building block part of your life where you confess to the Father repeatedly, weekly, daily, maybe hourly for some of us, God, I need you. I need you to cleanse me and wash me. I need you to make me new. Um, I need you to, to purify me. I need you to create in me a clean heart. I need you, Lord, to deliver me from my own sin. I need you, Lord, to, to, to save me. So I'm going to close right now in prayer. We're going to sing in a minute uh, on a closing song, but I'm just going to pray us through this real quick. Um, so go before the Father and, and pray this. Lord, I pray, God, that you have mercy on us today. According to your love, according to your mercy, according to your scripture, wash us, cleanse us, Lord. Even now, uh, we are laying before you those things that we know are wrong. The things your scripture calls sin. Wanting to do our own way, wanting to go our own will. Lord, we know that our transgressions are always before you and that you see them. Lord, help us to be honest with them ourselves in admitting that they're even there. Lord, so that you may be justified because you're blameless, because you're perfect, because your son died and because he rose again. Lord, we confess today that we know that we were born in sin and we have lived in sin and that the inclination of the human heart, Scripture says, in every way is towards sin. Lord, forgive us of that. Lord, teach us the wisdom that you have for us in what Scripture calls the secret heart. I don't know what that is, Lord, but it sounds great. Purge us and cleanse us. Lord, let us be glad. Let us be glad in our salvation. Let us be glad that, that the God who created the world uh, and, and, and now that that world is broken still wants it to be usable, still wants us to be saved, still wants to have a relationship. Lord, we thank you for your gospel. We thank you for the message of Christ. Boy, let there, let there be joy and gladness. Lord, hide your face from our failures, from our sins. Create in us, Lord, a clean heart. Renew a right spirit. And Lord, I love that verse. Renew in each of us today, Lord, a right spirit, a right attitude, a right way of thinking, a right way of, of relating to one another. Restore, restore to us the joy of our salvation, Lord, and uphold us with your spirit. Lord, prepare us to be teachers, purveyors of the gospel. Prepare us, Lord, as you've changed us to bring that message to others who will also be changed. 
And Lord, we realize you don't delight in meaningless sacrifice, but the sacrifice that you want is the sacrifice of a broken spirit and a contrite heart. Simply those who come before you and say, Lord, we're broken and we need you. Lord, apply the gospel to our hearts today in a way maybe we haven't experienced in some time, maybe in a way we've never experienced. Lord, help us to deal with our anger. Help us to deal with our tempers. Help us to deal with our mouths. In the myriad of other things that both make us human, but also define the brokenness that we have because of sin. That we may be usable for you. Lord, we thank you for your son, Jesus Christ. We thank you for your Holy Spirit. And Lord, we thank you for you, our Father in heaven. May your name always be great. Lord, may your kingdom come in its time and in its place and in its way. Lord, forgive us for how we have sinned against you and against each other. Lord, thank you for providing, and we ask, Lord, that for your continued provision for us. And we pray this in the name of your Son, and in the name of your Spirit, and in your name today. Amen. Won't you stand with us?